0: Can I ask what is your win percentage expectancy annually? Around 55%. Around 55%. I think my hottest year I hit on. If, I, if I'm hot, I'm hitting at like 60, 65. Um, if I'm cold, I typically don't go below 40. I'm usually somewhere around 55%. So right above, right above, right above uh, even, I guess you can say. I try to average three percent a, a, a month. Um, before any type of money management and stuff like that, that doesn't happen on a year-to-year basis. So it usually takes a, a fair amount of time for me to get to the next level of my position sizing. But try to average three percent a month. Um, so that puts me anywhere between about thirty-five to even sixty percent. You know, that was I'm gonna look at that. I had a sixty percent year once. I'm gonna look at that as an outlier year, sixty percent year without money management once. Um, that was a really good year. I don't look at that as the norm. Typically, if I can return about forty. Between forty and fifty percent, um, that I'm having a really good year. And when I say average three percent a month, that's not every month. That's very important. That's not January three percent, February three percent, March three percent. No, it could be January minus five percent, February plus ten percent, March minus three, April plus seven. It's it could be like that. It's not an exact three percent, but on average, on average, about three percent. If I'm in that area, I know I'm doing good. If I'm gonna, if I'm above that area, I get scared that I'm gonna give it back. If I'm below that area, I know I'm probably gonna have a hot streak coming, or I know I better pay attention to my account because I'm doing something wrong. <laughs> one, one of the two. Typically, I'm more pessimistic. So even if, if I'm if I'm doing bad, um, in the back of my mind, I know things will even out. But I do start to look like, hey, let's you know, I'm I'm always expecting like doom. I guess I'm like, hey, let's make sure. Uh, The wheels haven't fallen off this thing. What do you say 40, 50%? uh, Is that off your starting account balance? Yeah, starting account balance, yeah. For the the year, starting account balance for the year. Yep. And obviously if it's a year where I can hit a good switch in my money management, That's going to boost those returns a little bit. But again, I don't change. um, I'm very conservative from a money management approach. I don't change my position sizing all too often. It probably takes me about a year and a half before I ever change position sizes. Um, It's just very, I'm I'm a very boring trader. It's very slow and methodical, but it goes in the right direction. That's one of the reasons. Um, Also, I'm just very conservative with it. Um, I know that I go on, despite the curve being even, I do go on hot streaks and cold streaks. Um, so even if I do hit another level in my money management, I don't switch it until the end of the quarter. So I can have a, I can go from a, a one one unit to a two unit in my money management. Like let's say what is this January, February, March. Let's say I do that today, just based on my account total. I actually can't change my position size until I hit the next quarter. So until the June review. So that's something that's that's a I guess another slowdown multiple to go with the the smooth ratio slow down multiple, double slowing multiple. But I do that because I, there was a time in my career where I was far too aggressive with changing position sizes, but it got to the point where like, you know, obviously when you have a hot streak, your account's going to grow. When your account grows, that's typically when you change position sizes. Well, what typically happens after your account hits a hot streak? A drawdown. So what was happening is I was increasing my position size as I was getting closer to a drawdown, which you can imagine, right? Not the smartest thing. Um, so I, (laughs) so that's why I became very patient with, uh, it doesn't make sense if you think about it. It's like people that say, you know, it's same thing where people, I never got those who were like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I, I increased my position size during a, a, uh, a hot streak or I decrease my position size during the losing streak well it's like you're increasing your position size as the risk of you losing just from probabilities gets greater or you're decreasing your position size as the probabilities the, the chances of you getting on a hot streak increases like you shouldn't do that right like you you, you if you're decreasing your position size think think, think about it like this right if Lisa is on a cold streak, and I, I understand from a psychological perspective, right? Maybe it gets to the point where it hurts. Ah, I, I get that, I guess. But let's say Lisa's on a losing streak. She takes she she knows that her her and let's say everything is within kind of your 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 realm, right? If you do your back and you kind of know what your biggest losing streaks and winning streaks look like. Am I right? That's the value of back testing, right? Lisa can look back and say, hey, I know that like a 10-trade losing streak, you know that. That's that happens, right? So I should be prepared for it. I shouldn't panic. It sucks, but I shouldn't panic. I remember I had a year where I lost 17% in January, right? Probably my biggest, once I started trading good, my biggest monthly drawdown. Um, but nothing, it wasn't near my max drawdown. It it sucked, but it wasn't out of the realm where like I needed to panic. So, But let's say Lisa's on this losing streak. She's got 10 trades. She lost 10 trades in a row. She's like, well, I lost 10 trades in a row. Um, it hasn't really affected my account too much. I haven't reduce my position size per my account but i'm just scared so i'm going to reduce my position size well if lisa's following her plan her plan has an expectancy is based off probabilities eventually she's going to revert to the mean right whatever the plan says right so the more losses she takes essentially the assuming she's not sabotaging herself again the closer she's getting to her win so what she's doing is she's reducing her position size as she gets closer to her wins. So when she starts winning, she's gonna make less profit off of it because she cut her position size, right? So those wins are no longer making up from the previous losses, so she's only digging herself halfway out of the hole instead of the full way. And then of course, maybe once that winning streak starts, Lisa's like, oh yeah, I got my 10 trades in a row, I'm gonna start increasing my position size again. Keep in mind, those 10 trades never completely took her out of the drawdown, now she's back to trading a bigger position size. By the time the losses come back again, and now you're in the op, you're in a bearish trend, right? Your downward extensions are bigger than your upward pullbacks, <laughs> right? It's I mean, visualize a bearish trend on in, in your in your chart, right? Your losses are big. You have your winning streak, but because they're lessened, they only retrace to the fifty percent point, right? And then your extensions are big again because as soon as you got halfway up, you increase your position size just in, it's just in time to take those losses. Um, That kind of hit me because there was a point where I was like a 70% trader and breaking even. And I was all excited about, yeah, 7 out of 10 trades, big man, right? And I looked at my account and I was breaking even and losing money and I'm like, well, that that doesn't make sense. And it's because, right, I would hit these hot streaks and at the end of the hot streaks, I would be like, man, I'm actually making more money than this. And I increased my position size and for that small period of drawdown, it took all my wins away because i was trading double the position size it was stupid um so i'm I'm very cautious with how i increase my position size i'm very patient with it um because there's no i mean part of it is that fear but there's no need to rush i i base everything swing trading wise off quarterly quarters And, and part of that is because there's just not that many opportunities right there you know i don't i don't think I don't think you can make any type of decision as a swing trader in a month because how many how many swing trades are you getting in a month, guys? 10? Maybe? I think that's a pretty good for swing trading. I think 10 is probably a high number, right? I'm talking four-hour chart. Even hourly is, eh, that's, that's more intraday, but we can count it a little bit. But definitely four-hour chart. If you're getting 10 trades a month, obviously, it depends on your style and your portfolio. But, you know... Ten trades a month is a is a that's a busy month for me swing trading. <laughs> so, um, you can easily go on a losing streak for a month and have it not really mean too much bigger picture. So quarter quarters are big for me. Um, quarters are big for me, but it's interesting. Yeah, I don't know where we got started, but good. Whoever brought that up, good, good question. Uh, Rudolph says like making the wrong prediction. Good point. Note to paper. Um, I wrote down that in my trade plan. Heard it in your podcast. The analogy of driving off a cliff. <laughs> um, Glenn said George Soros does thirty percent, and he broke the Bank of England in 1992. Uh, there, there's a drastic, unrealistic expectation of what you can, what is a good return, and I think that is hurting so many traders because there, so many traders have good returns, but because they don't think it's a good return, right? Kind of the grass is greener type of thing. Then they they ditch something that's really, really good and. In hunt of something else that's unrealistic, right? It's like if you if you if if you have a 30 percent return annually, right, you're doing better than than all the other investment tools out there, right? Your goal is simple, right? Keep doing what you're doing and just flush more money into it. How can I put more? How can this 30 30 percent return make me more money? How can I flush more money into my trading account and keep this consistent 30 percent return? It's ridiculous people out there thinking like, man, if I don't have an 80% return each year, I'm failing. You can go search for that 80% return. Good luck. I'm sure you'll find someone on social media selling that to you. Someone that's doing some curve fitting where they had a hot month and they, they upped their position sizing and all of a sudden it looks like they made a 100% return in that month. And I'm pretty sure they did. It's doable. But ask them what happened three months after that. They probably went broke trading that stupid position size. Realistic expectations. Realistic. And I'm not saying you can do, I mean, you can certainly do better than 30%. Don't get me wrong, right? Don't get me wrong. You can certainly do better than 30%, especially if you're really good at managing risk and you can be a little bit more aggressive with your position sizing. But again, just have, it. I don't want you guys expecting, and you guys don't, but just in general people out there, I don't want them expecting like 100% of return a month is the norm. It's not the norm at all. Uh, what is a drawdown? Is it when you take profit out of your account or when it's uh a drawdown is whenever you're losing money. Um, so think about it like a a pullback in your trading account. If your trading account, your equity curve, I should say, is like a trend, each pullback is a is a is a drawdown. So the drawdown is the period between new equity highs. Little known fact. Did you guys know this? Well done, Tony. Yeah. Tony says, "Yeah, 40%. My best month was 40% in the month, but don't we don't talk about what happened the next month." <laughs> <laughs> Little known fact: Most of your your trading life is spent in the drawdown. Do you guys know that? The majority of your trading life is spent in the drawdown, just like the majority of your real life is spent in your bed. That's kind of frightening too, because a drawdown isn't just right. It isn't just the losing streak, right? So when you're you're losing money and you have that pullback as you may in your chart, that is a drawdown. But even when you start winning after that drawdown, you still haven't made new equity highs. So technically you're still in a drawdown. Now you're digging yourself out of it, but until you reach that new high watermark, you're technically in a drawdown, right? So that's why I say the majority of the time you are actually in a drawdown. So it's it's okay to be in a drawdown because you could be winning and you could be in a drawdown, it's okay. And then, by the time you make new equity highs, right? It's probably a little bit of a hot streak. And then, what happens? A little correction again. And you're back in that drawdown. <laughs> so, the majority of your life is spent in a drawdown, and that's it's not a negative thing. That's that's just trading. It, it's it's a it's a price chart. Your equity curve is a price chart. It's a series of one step back, two steps forward. If you're doing it well. Rudol said, "I had a nine trade winning streak one time, followed by a nine trade losing streak." But I went into the red. That's when I knew the power of money management in trading. Right? You're like, how did it go so good, so bad that quickly? Or a, he had a 13 trade winning streak and then a 9 trade losing streak. Yeah. That's, yeah, That look, that's a, that, that was exactly my wake-up call. That, that's when I realized that win percentage is rubbish. Because I like my whole thing was win percentage and I was 70%. You know, I was taking targets early. You know, you know, you know. <laughs> taking target early I was 70% and I thought I was I thought I was the man out out here and then I was I looked at my account it had those little you know those little parentheses around it (laughs) and and that's what that's what it hit me I'm like man like I'm I'm focused on the wrong things here and that's the whole story also behind like I I started eliminating my mistakes um, and trading got boring and it seemed like I was doing bad I actually started doing good and that's when I realized that if I can just manage my losses better not doing the dumb losses, and I didn't really have to do anything different. I wasn't I wasn't bad at finding trades, that was the thing, I would just sabotage them. I was good at finding opportunities, which I think most traders are. I was just sabotaging my my targets, I was sabotaging my stops, so my, my I was cashing out early, I was taking less than what I should have taken on my wins, I was taking more than what I should have been taking on my losses, right? So it was just about evening those things out, right? Do Keep doing what you're doing, Akil, right? But just work a little bit on being smarter with those losses, right? You reduce that, boom. And being smarter with those wins, you increase that, boom. And all of a sudden, you're a good trader, right? It's not, it's not, I don't want to say it's not that hard, but the, I don't think most traders have a problem finding trading opportunities. I, I think it's the dumb stuff, right? I don't know if you guys are NFL fans out there. This, this is a good example before we wrap things up. There's this quarterback out there called Jameis Winston. Famous Jameis, right? He's got a lot of issues. Um, eat those wins Um, a lot of issues but he had a very interesting year because he was he was a living breathing walking 30 for 30 right he threw 30 touchdowns which is awesome he's got a cannon of arm he's good he also threw 30 interceptions so when you evaluate him he's like man this guy can sling it but he keeps slinging it to the wrong team his team is losing because of that And he's a free agent this year. He just got picked up. But the interesting dilemma is like, do you take a chance on a guy like that? And you can evaluate it from different, you can look at it from different perspectives. You can be like, man, this guy threw 30 touchdowns. That's awesome. Man, this guy threw 30 interceptions. That's pretty bad. But a good coach will look at him and say, okay, well, obviously he can do the right thing. He's got talent, right? At the end of the day, he's got talent. He can pick good trades. The problem is he's doing dumb stuff on the back end. He keeps giving the ball away, and he's not necessarily killing himself on the front end. But the dumb stuff on the back end overshadows the stuff on the front end. So when you look at him, it's like when you you, you coach him, it's like, hey man, you're doing some really good things. You just gotta you, you gotta keep you gotta limit the dumb stuff. Just like do half of the dumb stuff you're doing, and all of a sudden you got 30 30 touchdowns, 15 interceptions. That's a whole different story. So it's 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 managing it's managing the other parts it's not necessarily the talent level it's managing the decision making on, on both ends Yeah you just got you got eye surgery well, maybe that maybe that helps we'll see Brett Favre was the same way very aggressive um, just a slinger and take care of you do that